Back in the day, there's a fella in Rome, and his name was Menenius, Menenius Agrippa, in about 500 BC. And the story goes that one day he was trying to calm a city um, who was kind of falling into civil unrest, and he told them a story something like this. The members of a human body were all hanging out one day and they got into a bit of a stir. The hands were complaining. All we do is work, work, work to provide food for the stomach. And the stomach just sits back and eats it. It just sits there and enjoys the fruit of our labour that we had to work hard to make. And they got the other various body parts on side. We're sick of the stomach not pulling his weight. We're going to stop feeding the stomach. Mouth, don't open for food. Us hands are going to stop the food coming. Teeth, don't chew. If stomach pleads for food, it will fall on deaf ears. So all the body parts turn against stomach. And sure enough, stomach starts to waste away. But then something unexpected starts to happen. The other body parts start finding it hard to do their jobs. Hands start finding it hard to work. Feet are having trouble walking. Eyes can't see clearly. The body as a whole started to waste away. It became apparent to the other body parts that the stomach wasn't just idly sitting there eating all the food. It wasn't just resting on others providing for it, but it was in turn supplying for the whole body. It was nourishing the body. The work that the stomach was doing enabled the rest of the body to do its work. It was actually a two-way street. Now, in our passage today, Paul the Apostle riffs on this or, or a similar story, the same idea or a variation of it. He points out the same basic premise, that all the parts of the body rely on it, rely on each other. All the parts of the church, the body of Christ, have different jobs to do. We're all in this together. And we've all got God-given gifts for the whole. And if you isolate one from the rest, they suffer. Or to stubbornly complain that that guy over there has a better job, I wish I could have his job, essentially starves the body of the gifts that we have for the body. Now, in the last, over the last three weeks, we've been walk, talking about the church in the trench, that is the, the church of Jesus Christ that is still on earth, in the battlegrounds, on the front lines, advancing God's kingdom, Eastgate is, an, is a church in the trench, on the front lines. And this, this first, sorry, the first week we, we talked about the fact that the church is an outpost of heaven. It's like heaven, but it's not really fully heaven yet. It's like home, but it's not our permanent home. And we need to stay on guard to, to, to protect the holy space, the church, from sin and rebellion while Christ advances his kingdom through a suffering church. And then last week we talked about the fact that that God hasn't left his church to look after itself, but he's actually given the church commissioned officers to care for the body, to lead the body. The, The apostles laid the foundations of the church on the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ, but then he gives to the body elders and deacons, Elders to oversee and pastor the flock, as well as deacons to lead many of the the practical concerns of the church. But that brings us to this, our third and final week in this mini-series. We're going to talk about the individuals who make up 
the body of the church. Yes, there's a bit of overlap with uh, the gifts and, and, and the roles that leaders have to play, but we're not focusing on the leaders today. We're just focusing on what part each has to play in the, for the good of the whole. Now, as the title of the sermon would indicate, I'm continuing with that kind of military theme. And we're talking about the way that the church, all of us are in spec ops. We're all in special operations. We all have a special job to do that contributes to the whole. And, and just like an army needs lots of different kinds of people doing lots of different kinds of jobs in order to, to act as a whole and to achieve the mission, so the church, God, has given us all different kinds of jobs, different roles that are needed to achieve the mission. And so the question that arises for us is, what, what is your job? What is your specialized area of operations? How has God gifted you by his spirit? So we're not going to spend a lot of time this morning talking about the individual gifts that are mentioned in this passage. Paul himself doesn't do that. He kind of just mentions them and glosses over them. And so I'm going to do a Paul and mention them and gloss over them. But I'm happy to have a chat about them after the service. We can talk a little bit more about how the church is gifted. But this isn't an exhaustive list, but it gives us a picture of how all the different jobs fit together. But this, this passage in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 teaches us four things about spiritual gifts. The first being that gifts are from God and they glorify Jesus. Gifts are from God and they glorify Jesus. You, the first thing you'll notice in chapter 12 is that the spiritual gifts are from God and they glorify Jesus. And you can see that from the opening lines. Um, the opening lines, the gifts are characterized by the way that they actually lead towards praising Jesus. He says, now concerning gifts, spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you try hard enough for long enough, you can whip just about anybody up into an ecstatic state. And it was not common, uncommon in the pagan religions at, at this time when Paul was writing to have um, ecstatic utterances, you know, um, religious trances, where people would be in a, in, a, in a heightened emotional state or maybe they're in this heightened drugged state or even just flat out under the influence of demonic spiritual forces. So for the Corinthian church, you imagine for somebody who's coming out of this spiritual background and coming into the church, Paul is trying to instruct them about how to distinguish between genuine Holy Spirit-powered gifts and the gifts, the deceptive gifts from the false religions. And his first key point in distinguishing between the gifts is if someone is in your church is claiming to be acting like, to be acting in the power of the Holy Spirit, but saying things like Jesus is accursed, well, that's, that's a clear indicator that things are not right. It's a good sign that it's fake. It might seem plain to us, but I think for many of us, we haven't come out of a background where this kind of thing is commonplace. 
So Paul is helping them understand that the gifts, the spiritual gifts, are given to glorify Jesus, to to say that Jesus is Lord. And he goes on to say that there is a bunch of spiritual gifts, but they're all from the same source. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are the varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So, so the gifts are given to glorify Jesus, to say Jesus is Lord, and they come from God himself. We'll talk more about the variety of gifts in a moment, but, but just notice here that it is God himself who is empowering the people. He empowers the gifts in everyone. It's the same God who empowers them all. And the special operations that each of us as Christians is called to, we are empowered by God himself through the Spirit. We're not just out here trying to put on a spiritual facade to try and fit in. No, we are empowered by God himself for the job that he has ahead of us. And and Paul says something similar in Philippians where he says that it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, if God is working in us by his spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, what should we be able to do? What limitations are there on what God can do when he's working by his resurrecting power? You and I can look around at the, at the world and grumble at the hopelessness, the hopeless estate that we see. We see political system structures falling. We see the moral fabric of society dissolving. And we look into our own lives and we see, I keep falling into the same sins again and again. But we don't have to live in despair. Because God is working in his church, in the world. Jesus came into the world to save it from the way that it is falling apart, from the way that it is broken. He came to save sinners like you and me to restore this broken world and he paid with his own life to purchase the church from death. He died on a cross in our place but then rose to life in triumph over Satan, sin and death. In resurrection life, he began his program to call all the people of the world who would come, to come into the church from every corner of the globe. He pronounces this call to you now. Come. Come in, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Come. Come into Christ's arms, all of you who have grown tired of the pointlessness of this life without Jesus. Come in, all you who are weary and weighed down by sin and shame. Come in, all you who are tired of kicking against the work of God's Spirit in your hearts. Come and give your allegiance to Jesus. Put your faith and trust in the God-man who wants to change you from the inside out. Come And enter into the people of God, the church, where God's Spirit is purifying holy people to be used by God. Come and give yourself to God so that His Spirit might empower you with spiritual gifts to glorify Jesus, our King and our Lord. So these gifts are used to build 
are from God and they glorify Jesus, but how do they glorify Jesus? What are the gifts for? What do they do? Well, the gifts are used to build up the church. We're told in in verse 7, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He's not just talking about the common good of the world, he's talking about the context of the church, and he says, the gifts are given for the common good. Each believer, each spec op soldier receives God's spirit for the common good of the church, for the good of the body. The gifts aren't for private pleasure. The gifts aren't to put on a show. The gifts aren't to try and climb the power and prestige ladder in a church. The spirit works in us for the common good of the local body. And Paul says something similar on expressing gifts in a couple chapters down in verse 14. He says, what then, brothers? When you have come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, all these being expressions of spiritual gifts. But he says, let all things be done for building up. The gifts in the body are for its building up. And we talked a bit about sorry, as we talked about in the first part of the mini-series, God is working on this construction project of building His church. He's creating a holy temple. God is working on a construction construction program in your life and my life. He's making us alive on the inside so that we can work towards the mission objective. And He's working in all of us individually so that we can collectively achieve the mission objective to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. So the spiritual gifts are for the building up of the body so that we can continue the mission that is before us. So we talked a bit about the fact that there are spiritual gifts from God and they're for the purpose of building up the church but what, what, are, what are some of the gifts? Well, there's a bunch of different kinds. The Corinthians seem to be hung up on some particular kinds of gifts that might have been particularly flashy and, and attractive. They're holding it up as this thing that was more important. But Paul, Paul tells them, everybody in the church has the spirit, but there are different ways and it works out in different gifts. And he goes on to give a list of some of them. from verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one, by one and the same Spirit, who he apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what can we see here? It's a whole bunch of different gifts, variety, for different gifts for different people. One person gets one job, another person gets another job. And the one spirit is working through different people with different gifts for the building up of the body. Everybody has a special job to do in God's power. And notice what it says at the end there. 
at that last line in verse 11, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So who gives out the spiritual gifts? The Holy Spirit gives out the gifts to different people based on his own choice. Now, I'm sure you've had an experience in life, maybe uh, working on a group project at uni or maybe in the workplace as a team member, and uh, you've got something you've got to do together, and you get given the worst job. You think, this isn't for me. This is not, this doesn't suit me. I'm not engaged with doing these tasks at all. And, and in that case, we can justifiably say, oh, you know, I, I think I would be better at doing this. If only they knew my personality and who I am, I would be much better equipped to do this rather than that. But that's not the case with the Spirit, because the Spirit is actually the one who, who knows us inside and out, and who is giving us gifting to do the tasks. He's not gifting us for something that we're not able to do, or something that we're not going to be good at. He is gifting us to be able to do what He is calling us to do. He makes the call about what gifts He will empower in each person. And, and that's actually something that takes the load off. It's actually something that uh, makes it easier for us. I, I, I don't need to try and be somebody that God doesn't want me to be. I only need to work in the way that God has gifted me, with the gifts that He has apportioned to me. We shouldn't be like the toddler who uh, always looks over and thinks that the toy that somebody else has got is better. Whatever the toy that somebody else has got is better. The grass always seems greener on the other side. But we must learn that if God doesn't give us what we want, he's done that for our own good. I pray that we can join with Paul and say, I've learned in whatever circumstance to be content. Not merely as an, oh well, I better just accept my lot in life. But rejoicing that God has empowered me by His Spirit in the way that He wants. We can desire the higher gifts, as Paul says at the end of the chapter, but let's not turn to jealousy and discontentment. And Paul tells us, sorry, Jesus tells us the parable of the talents where several servants were given different amounts of money and they were expected to invest it and to get a reward for the return, a return uh, for the investment. And each had, having different amounts, went and invested it, except, of course, if you know the story, one bloke goes and buries it in the ground because he was afraid. And when the master comes to say, you know, what have you done with the, with the money that I gave to you? to invest. Well, he's very pleased with the ones who have doubled their money. He's not so much interested in the amount that they've made, but the fact that they have used them. And he was very angry with the one who just went and buried it in the ground. God, through his spirit, has entrusted us with greater or lesser or varying types of gifts. And we have to put these gifts to work for the master for the glory of Jesus, to give him a return on investment, so to speak. Whether you have gifts that put you in the limelight or gifts that are almost never seen, we should 
All use them to grow and multiply the deposit that has been entrusted to us for a time. And and Jesus equips for his service and enables us through the empowering of the Spirit to build up the body. I I hope we'll all one day hear the words of Jesus, um, the, the master in the parable. The master said to those servants who had done well, he he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the spirit has different gifts for different people, but let's each use what God has given us as faithful servants. Fourthly, and lastly, Everybody's gifts are important. We are one body. In the last section, we, we, we talked a lot about how we each as individuals gift in gifts by the Spirit. But in the last part, Paul really harps on the fact that we have all got to rely on each other to make up the whole. It's not just everybody out there doing their own thing, nor is it appropriate for people to be ditching their gifts as if they're not important. Paul uses the body metaphor to drive home the point. We're all in this together. And every person has a special job to play for the good of the whole. For example, well, that's, that's a bit small. Uh, but for example, he talks about the fact that the eye and the ear, they cannot be interchanged. The ear cannot be an eye. Now, sure, sure enough, if you, uh, if you didn't have your eyes, people notice that their sense of smell and their sense of hearing get heightened. But you know what's even better than slightly better hearing and slightly better smell? It's eyes. You can't replace one with the other. They all have to fit together. And Paul's imagery is almost comical. How stupid would it be if your foot wanted to be a hand and decided, oh, because I can't be a hand, I'm just going to give up. I don't belong here. The plain imagery is that for our body to function well, each member of the body has to be healthy and do its job well. Feet are useless as hands, ears would be hopeless as eyes. Like the parable that I, uh, I told in the opening, each part is helped by the other, and if we try and exclude one, we're doing a disservice to the whole body. We're doing the whole body a disservice if we try and exclude someone because we don't like their job, or if we are withholding our own gifting because we don't think it's that important. Uh, Somebody, I think it was Chrysostom, noticed that in this metaphor of the body, it's interesting how the parts always are a little bit envious of the parts that are a little bit higher than them. You know, the feet want to be hands. The feet don't want to be eyes, they want to be hands because the hands are kind of got more prestige, they're more useful or they get more honour. And the ears want to be eyes. They want just to be that little bit higher, a little bit further up the rung. And I think we can see that in our own lives, our tendency, our envy or our jealousy can kind of bubble up in that way. The little brother wants the privileges of the older brother. The teenager wants the gifts that his wealthier mates get. The team member thinks that they would make a great manager. If only I could have his job. But what might that look like in the church? How does our envy or our jealousy come to the surface? We can all fall into this trap. I fall into this trap. 
If I had that person's job, I would be great. I wish I was chosen for that role. The, the tendency of all of our hearts is to become discontent and jealous if we don't guard them carefully. If we don't pay attention, our envy can lead us to think that I don't belong because I don't have that special job. I don't have a place here. But in doing that, we're actually depriving the body from the gifts, the roles that the Spirit is empowering in us. Do you know what the uh, first spiritual gift was in the Bible? This is, feel free to yell it out if you know. First time that somebody has talked about being given a, a spiritual gift. It's sowing. In Exodus... Uh, God says that he's filled some folks with a spirit of skill to make priestly garments. Now, I don't know about you, but when we think about prestigious spiritual gifts, we don't really think about sowing. But But the point is that God had gifted this person for the job, for the good of the body, so they could worship God in the wilderness. And you know what the second spiritual gifting appears to be? It's a couple chapters later. Carpentry, Sorry, cabinet-making, masonry, and jewellery. If you don't believe me, you can look it up in Exodus chapter 31. Because God gifted Bezalel to make temple furniture. He was given a spiritual gift for the building up of the body in the wilderness. To enable them to worship God. And at the outset, you might think, oh, he's only a craftsman. But God was working in him to achieve something for the good of everybody. Everybody suffers if the one part's not doing its job. Even if it's a part that doesn't often get much attention. And conversely, all the parts are able to rejoice when everything is working together as it should. And, and, and when the one part is kind of lifted up and, 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 and honoured, the whole body is honoured. One of the sayings is that when, when the head is crowned, the whole person is honoured. When the body is happy and joyful, your whole body feels it. But conversely, when you stub your toe, your whole body feels it. When the church is operating well, we are all being lifted up to glorify God. Everybody's gifts are important and everybody's role is for the benefit of the whole body. Jesus is building his church and using different people in different roles. As as Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are one body in Christ, but individually we each have a part to play. So what, what then? What now? Well, we've seen that the gifts are from God and they're used to glorify Jesus. We've seen that the gifts are used to build up the church. We've seen that there's different gifts for different people. But all the gifts are important because we're one body that relies on all the members. So what do we do with this? Well, I've got three things that I think we should do next. First, desire the gifts. Pray and ask that God would empower you by the Spirit to glorify Jesus and build up His church. Secondly, Ask people who know you well. How do you think God has gifted me for his service? Sometimes it's not immediately apparent to us because it's just normal for us to do this well or 
or to, uh, or to um, naturally be attracted to doing one thing rather than another. So sometimes we need people, outsiders, to say, hey, I see that you are gifted in this way. So ask people who know you well, how has God gifted me for his service? And thirdly, get trained. We, we often still need help to be better prepared for the task at head. We might be, have a natural inclination or we might have some abilities towards something, but often we still need help to perfect those gifts, to perfect those abilities to serve God's church. God uses training to equip us further. There's three things for us to do, to desire the gifts, to ask people who know you well, how has God gifted me for his service, and get trained, get to work, serving God in his body. You see, Jesus saved these people for himself. He saved us for his honor, for his glory. We're not just here to serve ourselves, we are here to serve him. He has, he has purchased us by his blood and he is working in his church, building a perfect temple where he's going to dwell forever. And he has equipped us individually to be part of that construction prog- prog- program. We each have special operations, special jobs to do. So find your gifts and use them for the building up of the body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you purchased your church with your blood. We thank you, Lord, that you have a job for all of us to do. Thank you, Lord, that that all the parts have to work together, that none of us is less important because we don't have a flashy job to do. Lord, we pray that you would work and empower us by your spirit so that we can serve you well. Lord, left to our own devices, we naturally turn aside and we wander off. But we thank you, Lord, that you have your spirit working in us and we pray, Lord, that you would empower us to work and to will for your good pleasure. Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to minister to the other parts of the body well, not to look down on somebody because of the role that they have to play. Lord, we pray that we might each be looking after each other and building each other up to glorify God. Lord, we pray that, that you might raise up more people with more gifts in our midst. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to share the Lord's Supper together.